like the Bible is full of these moms who were like these superstars, these rock stars that we can't relate to. They struggled. They had issues. Some of them, their marriages were, were, were in, in trouble and had difficulty communicating with their spouses. Some of them, their kids rejected them. All of these circumstances, in fact, a list of a few of those. Mary, the mother of Jesus herself, watching her son grow, go to the cross, watching her son brutally, brutally murdered on a, on, a, on a cross. How that broke her heart, how she wept tears over him. Eve, the very first mom, the mother of Cain and Abel. Here's this mom whose, whose two sons, one son kills the other son. What that did to a mom's heart, how hard that would have been for her to walk through. Sarah, a mom who became a mom later in life because, because she wasn't able to have children all through her life. That wasn't a possibility for her right up until, and then she had one son, one son named Isaac, who became the father of many nations, and the promise for her was so huge and so amazing. There's a lady named Naomi. Naomi had two sons, you might not remember their names, Malon and Kilion, and, uh, and, and Malon and Kilion married two girls, beautiful girls. And, uh, and they relocated to a different land, and then both of her sons, not just one, but both of her sons died. And Naomi actually changed her name to a word that means bitter. And she walked through difficulty and challenges in her life to the point that she actually changed her name. But then the story goes on, and there's one of his, her, da- her son's wives, her daughter-in-law, Ruth, a Jewish woman who, uh, rather a, a, a pagan woman, Naomi was a Jewish woman, but, but Naomi and Ruth become connected, and Naomi commits to Ruth and says, uh, Ruth commits to, commits to Naomi and says, I will, I'll go with you wherever you go, and your people will be my people. And she ends up becoming, Ruth gives birth to a son named Obed, and it's through Ruth and Naomi that the line of David is established, that King David is a part of that, and ultimately Jesus, and how God reconciles that. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, another woman who wasn't able to have children. And finally, the Lord gives her a son. Eli at, the, at the, the temple says to her, you know, she's the one who's praying and she's praying under her breath. And Eli says to her, you know, it's in the morning, you shouldn't be drinking already. And she says, no, 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 you got it all wrong. My heart is in despair. And she doesn't even say what the request is. But Eli says to her, the Lord's given you your request. And she comes back, she gives birth to a son Samuel, and then she gives him to the service of the Lord. And then we have this, uh, the mother of James and John, the wife of Zebedee in the New Testament. Here, talk about a, a, a bold mom. All right, she goes to Jesus and she says, listen, here's my request. In your kingdom, would you grant it that my sons would sit to the left and to the right of you? Pretty bold, isn't it? It's just that mom. You ever met that mom? She just steps right out there, and she's like, here's my kid, right? Maybe on the sports team, it's like, here's my son. He's going to be on the team, and he's going to be the quarterback. Well, let's see. No, you don't understand, right? She's that kind of mom, and she just puts it out there. Scripture is filled with moms who got it right, who got it wrong, who walked through circumstances that were not easy, that were difficult, that experienced loss. But can I tell you, God is bigger he is bigger and that he cares about every circumstance. Moms, he sees you. He sees what you're walking through, the joys, the sorrows, the gains, the victories, and the losses. 
and that He cares. I love the way that God has uniquely equipped moms to care, to nurture, to stand strong, to stand strong. Well, this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one attribute of mothering that I'll get to in just a second, but we're going to focus in on one thing because we would be here for way too long if we try to unpack everything. But there was one thing that really stood out to me about moms that, uh, that I thought, I, you know, we need to talk about this today. This is, this is the place that the Lord wants us to go. But before I do that, I want to share a story. A few years ago, actually about 15 years ago, I got to go to a Raiders game. And it was amazing. Um, I'm not a Raiders fan, but, but Raiders games are incredible. The players are just tenacious and the fans even more so. Um, these teams are just going at it. They're going after each other. People are screaming and shouting. It was, it was a surreal experience. I'm, I didn't grow up with football. I've been kind of introduced to football. I love watching football. But this game was a game changer uh, for me. In fact, there, there was so much screaming and, and yelling and intensity and shouting and cheering and the fans Right? Raiders fans, can any Raiders fans in the house? Like, man, they were just going crazy. At a certain point, though, I'm starting to get afraid. Has anyone ever been afraid of a Raiders fan? All right? I'm getting a little nervous because this is, this is getting a little crazy and a little heated. Now, wait, I need to mention, though, this wasn't an NFL game. This was peewee football, and the guys were this big. In fact, the boys running around on the field looked like little bobbleheads, right? They would get the ball, and they're holding the ball like this, and they're running, and there's pads, and they hit each other, and they like, they're almost like the weeble wobble that fall down, and they just bounce right back up. It's, it's a friend of ours was playing against this team, against the Raiders. I think their team was actually the Cowboys. So imagine that, Cowboys, Raiders facing each other, but these little guys that are no taller than your knees, and the moms on the opposing team, on the Raiders team that were cheering, not the dads, the dads were there somewhere, but it was the moms, all decked out, head to toe, cheering, shouting, just going after it. I tell you what, I think those moms were convinced that their boys were in the NFL. And if, if they weren't yet, they were headed that way. The intensity of that game was incredible. There is something about a mom who sees potential in her kid, right? And she will call it out. She will let everyone else know. No, you better, this is my kid. And they've got potential. They will encourage. They will cheer. They will be the biggest cheerleaders. Come on, anyone been to a sports event where you're like, there's that mom in the stands who is just, maybe you are that mom in the stands. Who, you know, it's, it blows my mind like, the, the umpires and the referees are having to go to the, the, the parents and go, you, you need to sit down, you need to calm down a little bit, right? And the kids are like on the field like, oh man, that's my mom, that's my dad. Um, a mom who believes in her kid and will cheer them on. I want to talk about encouragement this morning. When it comes to seeing potential and providing encouragement, no one and nothing compares to a mom. Because from an early age, dads get into the mix, and I don't want to dismiss dads in this, but dads kind of enter the game later on. There's things that moms see early on, then dads kind of have to catch up a little later. Sometimes I think because dads are kind of like just big kids sometimes, 
right? And, and they have to get drug along with it. But moms will see things in their kids that, that, that other people don't see. And they will work ferociously to call those things out, to instill those things, to help them get and reach that full potential that they see. Amen? All the moms are like, yep, I know what you're talking about. If, you, if you're not tracking with me, there's probably a mom in your life that saw that in you. So that, that becomes the point of connect for you. Moms can believe in you. They can believe in you when no one else believes in you, right? They will believe in you. They'll see the potential in you before anyone else sees it. And then they'll encourage you and encourage you and encourage you. Sometimes as a kid, you're like, Mom, you're nagging me. But what she's really doing is encouraging because she's not going to let up. I'm seeing some smiles around the room. This is good. This is speaking to some moms right now. We see in John chapter 2 an example of this, where Jesus and his mother are at a wedding. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. In fact, you can open your Bibles to there, and then in a little bit we're going to actually be in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, if you can open your Bibles to there as well. But John chapter 2, on the third day a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had, all, had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, Now I'll just say right now, if I ever said, call my mom woman, I would still be swollen, right? <laughs> I know Jesus got some special privilege there. Um, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. And Mary just turns around, ignores what he just says, and says, she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And in that moment, Jesus then turns the water into wine and performs his first miracle. Now, now Mary, think about the significance of this. Jesus' first miracle didn't come because Jesus stood up and said, now check it out, I'm going to do something. Mary, his mother, encourages him to it. And kind of ignores even his request in the midst of it. It's pretty bold. But here's a mom who believes in her son probably more than any mom's ever believed in a son before. Right? From the, from the, the moment that, that the angel showed up and said, you're going to have a baby boy and you're going to conceive this child not of a normal way but of the Spirit and he's going to be the Savior. Did Mary know that God had a plan for her son? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was no doubt. And so can you imagine being Mary watching Jesus grow up? Can you imagine being Jesus' brothers and sisters? Could you just be more like Jesus? Right? (laughs) Jesus doesn't talk back to me. Jesus cleans his room. Anyway, Mary (laughs) believed in Jesus. And in this moment, now there's commentators and scholars kind of speculate about the significance of this moment and how it all came about and, 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 and... you know, Mary's role in this, um, part of the, the, the idea is that Joseph had already died at this point. And so Jesus, because he was the firstborn son, had taken that lead role. And so that she hadn't necessarily come to him asking for a miracle. What she was just saying was, hey, there's an issue here and you need to just help me take care of this. Can you fix this problem? Either way, it becomes the impetus for Jesus to perform his first miracle. Mary believed in her son 
She saw the potential. She knew the direction his life was headed, and she wasn't afraid to call it out. She risked even to do so. And so we have the very, the very mother of Jesus as a model for us in this point of encouragement. There's three points I want to make today. The first is this, that every one of us, not just moms, but every one of us is called to invest in the life of someone else. We're all called to make an investment. Now, Mother's Day, moms, our focus this morning for sure, moms just kind of get this. From birth, moms will just start investing in their children, and it's just wired into them. And we can learn a lesson here from moms. We can all take, right, take a page out of mother, the mothering handbook here, say as just as a mom would invest in the life of her child, every one of us is called to invest in the life of someone else. I would submit to you this morning, if you're not investing in someone else's life, you're not walking as a true disciple of Jesus. Jesus was all about pouring into the lives of other people. And in a world that is so me-focused, God says, no, turn the attention away from yourself and start looking to others. Start investing in the lives of others. Moms get this. In fact, Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, instructions for parents here. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so there's a point of instruction and a point of encouragement in this verse. That we're supposed to train up children. We're supposed to make a deposit when they're young. Because that deposit, that investment will last. I was reading an article the other day about investing. And it was saying that if you start investing $2,000 a year when you're like 19 years old, if you invested for like five or six years and then never invested, you just put that money in, in some kind of investment vehicle that has a you know, decent return, that by the time your retirement age, that those $2,000 over those five years will be over $2 million. If you start trying to make that investment when you're in your mid-30s, then, then you have to invest for $2,000 a year for something like 15 or 16 years. Investments made early return with greater dividends, right? Investments made early in life will produce a greater result. The same is true in parenting or in investing in other people's lives. The more we can pour into people's lives, especially the lives of our children. Last week we had family worship Sunday and we had our kids up here praying over them and expressing to them how much they mean. Why? Because if they can capture at this point that God loves them and has a plan for their lives, even if down the road they start going off track, right? the Holy Spirit will remind them down the road of, of, of what was spoken in this season of life. Um, one of my favorite things about Facebook is it's allowed me and all of us to connect with people that maybe we've not had to connect with for a while. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes, well, anyway... I had, a, I had a student who was one of my junior high kids years and years ago when I was first a youth pastor, was able to connect with me through Facebook years later, and he sent me a message, just a you know, private message, and said, hey, I want to thank you for the things that you spoke into my life when I was in seventh grade. You said this, this, and this. And I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, and here's this kid remembering back to seventh grade. He's now in his 20s, 
has made some really bad choices, but he's coming to a place where he's walking back with the Lord. And he's remembering things that were deposited into his life when he was 12, 13, and 14 years old. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And it becomes that mainstay. We have to invest in people's lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writing to his son in the faith, Timothy here, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Such a great passage, and we'll continue reading about Paul, uh, Timothy's relationship with his mom and his grandma here in a second. But Paul recognized in the life of Timothy, the young man that he was pouring into, that he was investing in, that an initial investment had been made by his mother and his grandmother, that Timothy's faith was there because he had seen it modeled in his grandmother and in his mother. This man goes on to be one of the the, the mainstays, one of the the key players in the early church. Timothy was a significant leader in the early church. But he was that, he was able to be in that place because of an, an, an early investment made by his mother and by his grandmother. I love the team effort, right? I love the team effort here. I love that they were committed to pouring something into this man's life, believing that God had big plans for him. And unlike Mary, who, who knew kind of the, the, the trajectory that Jesus was on, for Eunice and Lois, it was simply, we want this young man to grow up and be a man of faith. We want this man to love the Lord, to know Scripture. In fact, it goes on to say in chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Listen to this. Because you know those from whom you learned it. Paul here, not just talking about himself, again a reference to his mother and grandmother. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's so cool. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture. Timothy grew up in a house where the Word of God was primary. It took center stage. And how his mother and his grandmother would speak to him about the things of God. That they would read the scripture to him. So that he would grow up in an understanding. Having a love for the Lord that wasn't based on emotion or feeling or circumstance. It was based and centered in the word of God. That his faith would stand strong. And so we need to make an investment in a life. But it can't just be any kind of investment. So the investment that we make in in a young person's life. Whether a mom or a dad, or a friend, or an uncle, or a brother, or a sister, it doesn't matter. Whether it's someone that, that's related to us, or someone that is a friend, we are a family in this place. We're a new community church. We are a family. And so we're brothers and sisters. We get to make this investment each, in each other's lives. Younger, older, right? We get to train and teach and equip each other. And, and, and the advice, the investment that we bring, rather, needs to be a godly investment. It needs to come back to, to this. It needs to come back to God's Word, the thing that is timeless. See, 
Um, I said advice. I didn't want to say that because actually the thing is our advice is cheap. Advice is cheap. See, because advice will just come out of my experience, which can be flawed and skewed. But the Word of God, doesn't, it doesn't give advice. It gives wisdom and direction. And so when people come to us and we want to make an investment in their lives, to always come back to the Word of God. And it, don't, and not, it doesn't have to be weird. Like when you're having a conversation, someone's like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what, what to say. Well, let's look at the Word of God, right? It doesn't have to be like that. But we need to make sure that what we're speaking and investing into other people's lives is centered here and it's not contradictory to the Word of God. And it's not my best idea. Because the Bible says that my righteousness, the very best that I have to offer is like filthy rags before the Lord. Well, I don't want to give people filthy rags. I want to give them truth and life. And, but we get to make an investment, every one of us. And so we can learn that from moms. The second thing is this. We can identify, we can start seeing hidden potential in people. That we're called to see the potential in other people that they don't see in themselves. For a mom to be standing on the sideline of a football game, screaming her head off, head to, head to toe, you know, Raiders gear, her little boy's out there with his, his helmet and his pads and his, his stuff on. But she sees in him, I, mean, I joke about, she looks and sees, you know, an NFL play, player. But she does. She does. Because she knows there's potential. She sees the potential in her little boy. And she wants to call that out. She wants to say, you know what, you can go far, you can do this. You can, you can if, you, if you work hard, if you practice, who knows, sky's the limit. We can start identifying potential in other people, not just because it sounds like a nice sentiment, but because the Bible tells us this, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. God's speaking to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb. There's a connect that happens for a mom and a child that, that guys will just, we never, we'll never understand. We'll never understand. To be able to carry a baby in the womb for those months, I'm told and I've read that there's a bond and there's a connection that takes place. And here's what the amazing thing is, is before that bond even happens, God knows the plans. God knows the things that he's purposed. He knows the things to which he's appointed us and called us to. And I believe with all my heart that moms have an important part in that, not just because it's my baby, but because there's a spiritual connect that takes place. And I believe that God imparts wisdom and discernment, right? Moms can discern like nobody else, especially when you're in trouble, right? Moms know, they just know I don't know how my mom did it. She just knew. She just knew stuff. Like when I was saying things, things that weren't, she just knew. It wasn't fair. <laughs> it wasn't fair. But God, God puts stuff. There's a connect that happens there. Why? Because he has a plan. Moms see the potential in their children, but he's given us the ability as well. Why? Because we're formed in his image. And so the very things that make God who he is are sewn into the fabric of who we are 
so that we can start seeing and calling out the potential in other people. But so often it's hidden. It's not right there. You know, people don't just wear it like a sign and say, here's my potential. Here's the direction I'm... No, it's hidden. And quite often people won't even risk or talk about what their dreams are. And I find that even more and more. I find that more and more even in the church. People are going to think I'm crazy. I can't do that. I can't do this. No, that's, that's the potential. Those are the things that God has seeded into your life that need to be called out. Paul, in fact, says to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts that are in you by the laying on of hands. They're there, but they need to be stirred up. They need to be fanned into flame so that they're not just small and hidden and dormant and in the background. But it takes someone calling those things out for them to come to the forefront. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, we see David, King David, has a, before he's actually the king, he's already been anointed the king, but he's still running for his life from King Saul. And there's this moment that God gives him the A-team, the stellar team. Listen to this. God sends to him, the, in, in 1 Samuel 22, he says, all those who were in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. And David's going, thanks a lot. All those that were in distress, in debt, or discontented, they were the furthest thing from the A-team, the all-star team. There were everyone that was broken and miserable and had something hanging over their head. 400 of these people. And it says that David became their commander because he saw something in them that they didn't even see in themselves. Later on, a significant portion of these would become David's mighty men. And they are listed by name. There's about 40 of them that are listed by name and by the things that they accomplished. They went from being in distress, in debt, and discontented to being mighty men of valor. Some of the greatest, greatest warriors Israel had ever seen. Why? Because one man saw the potential in them and was willing to lead them to a place of victory in their lives. And I guarantee you it wasn't an easy road. I, I know that David had to have some hard conversations. Seeing potential in people and calling it out is not an easy thing to do. Some people will fight you on it. They won't want to go there. Again, for moms and their kids. Kids are like, just refuse to do their homework. Yeah, but, but you're a smart kid. No, I just don't want to. I don't want to. I don't, right? And you have to fight because you've got to call it out. You've got to press them sometimes. But every one of us can see that potential in someone. God's given us that ability, just like David, just like he does with a mom, to say there is a hidden potential here, and we get to be a part of calling that out and seeing someone who's in distress and indebted and disconcerted. See their life turn around, discontented. See their life turn around. Can I tell you, when I hear those three words, distress, debt, and discontent. I think of the world that we live in. I think of our community. See, because on the outside, everything looks okay. But we've become really good at hiding what's really happening in our lives. Right? Do you know people in distress? I bet you do. And maybe, maybe you're one of them. Do you know people who are in debt? 
Absolutely. And maybe you're one of them. Do you know people who are discontent? Absolutely. And again, that even exists here. And God says, that's not what I've called you to. I have something better. I've called you to be a mighty warrior. I've called you to be a, a, a victor in the kingdom. I love when, when the children of Israel go from, uh, from being in the, in, the, in the desert and into the promised land. We've been reading about this in our journaling. That God says to them, and he reminds them before they go into the land, you are the head, you aren't the tail. You're the head, not the tail. I see the potential in you, Israel, and I'm calling it out. Stop living like the tail and start living like the head. We can see the potential in people. In Acts chapter 9, we find one of my favorite characters in Scripture, a man named Barnabas, whose, whose name literally means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. In Acts chapter 9, Barnabas takes uh, a man named Saul, who would later become the apostle Paul, takes him to Jerusalem, and he becomes a, an advocate for him. He says, when he came to Jerusalem, this is Paul, or Saul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. Why? Because he had been persecuting believers. Saul's job was actually to find and kill Christians. But then he has a conversion experience, and the Lord changes, radically changes his life. Why? Because God saw the potential in Saul. Saul's, the call in Saul's life was not to be a killer of Christians, but to be the leader of Christians, of the believers. But they were afraid of him, not believing that he, he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Here you have the, the, the apostles, the leaders of the early church, and this man Saul shows up, and, and, and he says, hey, I met Jesus, and they're like, yeah, right. We're afraid, because this could cost us our lives. Literally, this could cost us our lives. If we let you in, if we let you into our, into our fold, into our group, and, you, and you're lying, we'll die. And, and so their fear is founded. It, it, it has a basis. And then I love that. But Barnabas. Barnabas steps up next to Saul and he says, Wait, I've seen with my own eyes what this man has done, how he's preached fearlessly. In, you know, and think about the cost for Saul to go, to go from being the leader of those oppressing and persecuting Christians, to now preaching in the name of Jesus. Huge risk. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, steps up and says, this guy's okay. I see the potential in him. I know that there's a call on his life, which leads me to my third point, that we need to, to make sure that we don't stop encouraging. Moms, I love this. Moms never stop being moms. No matter how old your kids get, right? You're just still a mom, my, my youngest sister had surgery this week and, uh, and is actually still in the hospital. My mom was right there. Spent the night on the couch right next to her. Right? She's taking care of us back there today. Taking care of her. Why? Even though my sister's in her 30s, my mom is still her mom. And moms keep encouraging and they keep doing the mom thing no matter how old they get, no matter how old their children get. And if we can learn from that. Don't stop encouraging because sometimes... You want to stop. 
They're like, fine, if that's what you want to do, fine, just go do it. See if I care. Don't come crying to me, right? I, we've heard that. Don't come crying to me when it doesn't go your way. But the reality, it's wired into them. Moms will always encourage. It's in them because the Lord's put it there, and it's in us because it's a part of the heart of God that He never gives up. We continue with the story of Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. See, things get a little sketchy for Saul in Jerusalem, and his life comes in, it, it become, it starts being endangered, rather. And so the apostles agree and say, listen, this is not a good place for you. And so they send him back home to Antioch. They said, you've got to go. You've got to get out of here. You've got to go and, and, and um, go, back, go back to your hometown. You're, you're making things dangerous for us, too. And so they send him away. You know, one of the things in Scripture, we, we read the book of Acts, and we go from 9 to 10 to 11, and we don't realize that there's years passing. In fact, Saul goes back to Antioch, and he's there I mean, for, to Tarsus, rather. He doesn't go to Antioch. Some of you guys are going, wait a minute. He goes to Tarsus. We'll get to Antioch in a minute. He goes to Tarsus, and he's there for an estimated 12 or 13 years. You ever been in a place where God's spoken something or called you to something, and then it doesn't happen in your time frame? Right? As a kid, sometimes you're like, hey, I want this to happen, and your parents are like, you just need to wait. But mom, but dad, come on. I, I just want, no, not now. Not now. Well, when? I'll let you know when. And as a kid, you're just frustrated because you want it now. But your parents know better, and they say it's not the right time right now. In fact, if you get what you want right now, you're not going to be able to handle it. So we've got to wait for the right time. There's some growth that has to happen, right? There's a reason we don't give 12-year-olds driver's licenses, right? It doesn't matter. It's not about them being able to reach the pedals. There, <laughs> there's something of growth that needs to take place. And even 16, I don't know. It's right. No, you guys are good. 16-year-olds in the room. No. 17-year-olds, right? There's a season of growth that needs to take place, and Saul is sent off. But here in Acts chapter 11, 12 years later, something cool happens in the city of Antioch. See, at this point, the church had been, had been initiated by the Jews. It was led by Jewish men who, who had been with Jesus. It was centered around these apostles, and even though the church was growing, it had not yet reached the Gentiles. It had not broken free from, from reaching the Jews, which was appropriate because Jesus said you know, that, that he wants to reach the Jews. And Paul echoes that, that it's first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. But God's heart was always that the gospel would go to the Gentiles. Where there's these, this group of believers who, who hear about Jesus, get on fire about the Lord, and they're from kind of a scattered uh, region, some from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they all end up in Antioch, and they love Jesus, and they're like, hey, let's start a church. And they do. And this thing starts growing. Well, news gets back to the council in Jerusalem, to the group of leaders in, in Jerusalem, that there is this church in Antioch. And I, I imagine in the room there was like, Did you, was that you? Who, well, who started it? Well, we don't know. We don't know who started it. So they pick Barnabas, and, uh, and they send him. So let me, let me just read it out right out of the Bible. Uh, Acts eleven twenty two. News of this, of the church, uh, the church in, it reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Sounds like he was just a nice guy. He's like, he's the, you know, he's the son of encouragement. Let's, send, let's not send Peter, because it might get ugly. Let's send Barnabas, because... 
He's, he's, a, he's a cool dude. When he arrived and saw that the grace of, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for, for Saul. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? Because he never stopped believing in his friend. 12, 13 years later. See, the, the word that was given to, to, to Saul was this. God, Jesus says to Saul, I've chosen you to be my mouthpiece to the Gentiles. You're going to be the one that reaches those outside of, of, of Israel, outside of the Jewish faith. You're going to be the, the mouthpiece to the world. And I imagine at some point Barnabas and Saul having conversations that, that, Barnabas, that, that Saul mentions to Barnabas, here's what God's called me to. This is what he said. It must have come up in conversation because when Barnabas is in, in the setting where he re- looks around the room and he goes, wait a minute, this church is made up of Gentiles, not of Jews. And something clicks in his heart and his mind and he goes, Saul's supposed to be here. Here's what's incredible about this. This is sacrificial living. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas could have jumped in and said, I'm here, I'm going to take the lead, right? Because I've got a little more experience all, all, all of you and, and it would just been easy for him to self-promote himself into a place where he took the lead with this church but he doesn't do that. He says, no, this isn't for me. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He sets, sets out for Tarsus and he goes, I've got to go find Saul and bring him back. Barnabas Let's see. And he found him, verse 26, and brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught, a great, and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. I love this. I love that after 12 years of not seeing each other, the potential in Saul was not lost to Barnabas so much so that when Barnabas finds himself in a setting where he recognizes this isn't my gig, some, God's called someone else to it, he goes at cost to himself to find his friend and say, Saul, you need to be here. You need to be a part of this because this is what God's called you to. This is what God's called you to. And they come back and for, for a long season, it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and then it changes and it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas invests in Saul's life, invests in Saul's life, calls him out, speaks life to him, promotes him to other people, to eventually Paul exceeds Barnabas. And we're here today because of that. We're here today because Barnabas went to get Saul. We're here today and the church and the gospel spread. See, because the first missionary journey started out of Antioch, when they were together, worshiping the Lord together, praising God and in prayer. And the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And the first missionary journey is sent out of the church in Antioch, not the church in Jerusalem. And the gospel starts spreading to the world. And ultimately, that's why we're here. See, your encouragement and your identifying potential and your investment into the lives of other people could affect millions 
literally millions. And so we need to take a page out of the book of mothering and start seeing the potential in people. Start making those sacrificial investments and putting other people before ourselves like moms do every day. Why? Because it's the heart of God. It's how He sows the seed into the world for His kingdom to grow and expand. It's how He calls us to train young ones to become mighty men and women of God. Not to neglect those things, but just like Timothy at an early age to start making the investment of the Word, to start speaking life and calling and blessing into these young ones. For us as a body of believers to look around the room and not walk with blinders, because I tell you what, that's the easy way. I talked about that earlier in our transition time. To not step out of our comfort zone. See, because if I want to make an investment in Tom's life, I actually have to get to know Tom. Which means I've got to spend time with Tom. Which means it takes, well, that, that's an investment of time. Which means it's going to take me away from other things. But I have to see if God's saying, hey, I want you to make an investment in this man. Then I've got to walk in obedience to that and start speaking life. And even when Tom would, would say, you know what, Barry, I'm tired. I want to hear what you have to say anymore. Not that he would ever do that. That I would be so committed to him that I will keep investing and keep believing and keep calling out. I love that there was 12, 13 years that went by. And Saul's probably wondering, we don't know. Scripture is quiet about what Saul, I doubt he was just kind of sitting back, just hanging tight, going, well, hopefully they call me back sometime. I'm sure there was, the gospel was being preached there as well. And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit had surrounded him with people that would speak into his life and train him up. But at the right moment, just like Esther, for such a time as this, Barnabas shows up and he says, now, let's go. That we would be that kind of people in others' lives to say, listen, I see a potential in you and I want to call that out. I want to catapult you into your destiny, into your calling I'll close with this. A study was done of, uh, of GE, one of, one of the largest corporations in the world. And they make, you know, all kinds of stuff. What's their, their General Electric? No, but their, their little tagline is, you know, we bring good things to life or something like that. I mean, they're involved in everything. Everything from kitchen appliances to jet engines and everything in between. Um, and so this multifaceted corporation, they're doing an, 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 a study of where their top-level executives had come from. How had they worked their way through the corporation into the positions that they were? And, and they found for a, 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 there was a, a group of top-level executives that had all come through one department. And what they discovered was a mid-level manager who worked in this department who was all about, he was a Barnabas. And that this man, every young, uh, you know, young employee, young executive that would come and be under his care and under his oversight, that he would just invest in them, invest in them, invest in them. And that they just all shot up and became these incredible leaders in the company. One guy who never moved beyond being a mid-level manager. He was all about pouring... So check it out. GE recognizes that our corporation is strong right now. One of the reasons it's strong right now is because of one guy 
in a mid-level position who lives his life for other people, not for himself. That's amazing. GE doesn't know it, but that's kingdom. That's kingdom. That when we start making that kind of investment, the kind of investment a mom would make in the life of her children, that we will literally change the world. And that's exciting. Let's stand together. It starts at home. And it, it should all, it's appropriate for it to start at home. It starts in our marriages. starts in our relationship with our children and our extended family. Because here's the deal. If we're not doing it at home, we shouldn't be doing it anywhere else. That, that the Lord doesn't honor, right, the heart that's divided in that way. And so if there's work that you need to do in your own home, maybe this is touching your heart and you're going, I'm kind of missing the mark a little bit here. I'm not, I'm not speaking life in my home like I should. Today's a good day to start making those changes. I'll encourage you. You have the potential to do it. And I'll call it out. I'll keep, we're moving into this summer. We're going to be talking about our, our personal walk with the Lord. But I'm also going to be talking about the home. Having an overcoming home. What it looks like to have a home that is kingdom minded. But it takes us to making that first step. And we can all get better at that. So it starts at home. And then, and then in this place, we are new community church. We live as a community. And in community, in the context of relationship that we take the opportunity to invest in each other's lives. See, I'm one guy. I'm the pastor, but I'm just one guy. And there is no way, even a church of this size, that I could invest in every one of your lives and be the only person doing that. It's not possible. See, he's given us to each other so that we can be that for each other. Invest in each other's lives. Start seeing the potential in each other. Start calling it out and keep encouraging because there's going to be a day that someone says to you, you know what, no, that's not for me. No, I'm not feeling it today. No, there's no way God can use me. And we get to very lovingly and sternly sometimes say, no, that's, that's garbage. That's not truth. God has called you, and yes, you can. Come on, let's do this together. So that we can propel people towards God's call on their lives. In church, we can do this in the world. We can do this with people that don't even know Jesus yet. In fact, it becomes one of the key ways that we can build bridges of relationship into their lives. Because the, most of the world is not being encouraged. People aren't investing Right, Because we live in a me-centered society. It's not about what I can pour into you. It's what I can get for myself. And so if we start finding those places, those divine appointments, where we get to invest in the life of someone else and call out their potential and keep encouraging them, even before they know the Lord Jesus, we're making a deposit that will change the world. And at the very least, will change their lives, which is amazing. So let's be that kind of people. Let's be like moms. Taking that care, that nurture. It's important to remember that, that people won't be op open to receiving if you're gruff, rude, right? Why does mom have that voice in the life of her kids? 
because she is a comforter, because she is a nurturer, because she does uh, hold close and speak life, just like the heart of the Father would be. And so, Father, this morning we thank you that you've given us, that you've equipped us with this same kind of power, the same kind of influence, the same kind of life-giving force, Lord, that a mom, just like a mom would speak life into their child, that our Heavenly Father speaks life into us and makes an investment. Just like Lois and Eunice made an investment into Timothy's life. God, that we would make those kind of investments into our children, into our homes, into our marriages, into our friendships, into our church, and into our community. God, that we would see potential. Give us discernment. Lord, not to to beat people over the head with it or, or force them into things, but Lord... To just, to, to, to just see the things that they don't even see themselves and call those things forth so that people, that your body would be equipped to reach the world. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't grow weary in encouraging one another. Just as you've given us your Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who brings peace, Lord, that we would take the Holy Spirit in us, just as we sang earlier, to tear down walls where walls have been built up so that people would embrace all that you have for them and their futures. Lord, we thank you for moms. And I pray, Lord, that every mom in this place, no matter the condition of her heart, Lord, I know that some, some this is a day of joy and some there's, there's heartache and pain in the midst of this. But Lord, I pray that you would just bring your peace. Would you just bring your blessing Cover every mom today. Fill them up, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you like prayer this morning for any anything whatsoever, our prayer